Morning, Paul here. Um, great to see you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open them up at Philippians 2. We're in verse 12 to 18. We have just had it read to us, but we're going to be making our way through. So if you could have it in front of you, that'd be really helpful too. I'm guessing you have a, a desire to experience deep joy. We, we have a desire. We want to rejoice, don't we, with God and with, with each other. Not a, a temporary happiness, but like a deep, a deep joy in our souls. And, and it's something that we really want, but we very rarely feel. And we're going to see today that joy is possible, that rejoicing is possible. Deep lasting joy can be found, it can be experienced. We can rejoice together, not just in the future, but now. And we're going to see that it happens in a very surprising context. So let's see what's gone on so far, because we're in the book of Philippians, which is written by the Apostle Paul. And he writes it in prison, and he's in prison for proclaiming the gospel. And he's writing to a church in the, 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 the Roman colony of Philippi. And Paul, he's possibly going to be killed for his faith. And he's calling the Philippians to live for the glory of God and the good of others. He's calling them to, to step forward, to not be afraid of, of suffering, to strive together for the gospel truth, unified together as a church, living lives worthy of, of the gospel, putting other people first. And last week we worked through, um, Steve worked through for us, in chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, this, this wonderful passage of Scripture just showing us the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to read that again to see that, that the passage we're looking through comes off the back of this. So chapter 2, verse 5, have, have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, obedient to the point of death, served us by dying and is now raised um, to life and is now ruling and reigning exalted. You read a passage of scripture like this and like, wow, how are we to respond to something so incredible? And I think that's what Paul is going to walk us through today. So first of all, we're going to look at a, a call to work out our salvation. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear, fear and trembling. See, Paul, he isn't there. He's in prison there in Philippi, but he loves them. And his call to obedience, because that's what he's calling them to, is in the context of affection, in the context of a loving relationship. He wants what's best for these people who he loves dearly. And he's saying to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he doesn't say to work to your salvation. He doesn't say to work for your salvation. That's already happens. He says to work out your salvation. And salvation, what that means is that we've been saved. But what have we been saved from? We've been saved from the judgment of God for our sins for our rebellion. And we've been saved because the Lord Jesus Christ took that punishment for us. Paul writes another letter to a, a, a church in Ephesus, and he says this. Let me just read it for us. It's Ephesus chapter, um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a gift from God. We are saved by grace, not by works. And our faith is itself a gift from God. And look where, where Paul takes us in this letter. So we've been saved by the grace of God, but then he says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved us and gave us a purpose to walk in the good works that he, he has prepared for us. And Paul here is writing to the Philippians and he's calling them to the same thing, to work out the salvation that God has already worked in. So we as believers, those who have been saved, who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a point, we have a purpose, we have a calling on our lives, all because of what God has done. And it's worked out in obedience. Salvation, our salvation is worked out through obedience. But we also see, don't we, in verse 12, that we do it in fear and trembling. I think possibly we're afraid of, of these words because I think we misunderstand God's character and that's why we take this wrong. You see, there's such a thing as a wrong fear, forgetting the grace and forgetting the compassion of God. And it makes us fearful of approaching rightly. It leads us to resentment or hiding from God. But a right fear is understanding who God is, understanding his characters, his character. There's a, a theologian called Michael Reed who says this so much better than I could, could say this. Listen, listen to what he says. The living God is infinitely perfect and overwhelmingly beautiful in every way. His righteousness, his graciousness, his majesty, his mercy, his all. We don't love him aright if our love is not a trembling, overwhelmed and fearful love. Right fear, a, a guy called Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he preached a, a, a couple of hundred years ago. He said this, right fear falls on its face and leans towards God. So the trembling fear of God is actually a way of speaking about the intensity of a believer's love for and an enjoyment of all that God is. So a right fear of God is where love and joy and rejoicing in God is found. So working out your, our salvation with fear and trembling is enjoying God in the fullest sense of the word, in the here and now of everyday life. See, could a lack of joy, could a lack of rejoicing actually be a loss of fear and trembling before God? It is God that we worship, God that we come to, God that we love. Do you need to recover some of that fear and trembling before God? But as we work this out, and as we see that this letter as it's been delivered, we see that it's worked out in community, together. And Paul's been saying this throughout this letter. You see, this letter was actually written to a church. It was written to a people, a group of people. They would have gathered and heard it read together. That's how it would have been delivered to them. They would have gathered together and someone would have read it over them and to them. They would have heard the contents together. They would have heard this call to work out salvation together. See, I think we automatically think individual. We go, go, go study our Bible on our own, our personal devotions or, or more prayer. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I'm saying is that Paul is calling this community, this people formed by the gospel to work this out together. And we mustn't lose sight of that, that we work out our salvation together. Yes, we work it out personally and, and I, maybe I'll... I'm not saying individually because I think sometimes with individual can come at the kind of ramification of isolation. 
But we work it out personally, and as we work it out personally, we, by its very nature, if, it, if it's biblical and right, we work it out as a community and in a community, together, connected together. So working out personally means working out as part of a community. See, the gospel, it transforms everything. It's not a, an add-on. The gospel is not a side point. It's the center of our community. The transforming reality that shapes every aspect of who we are as God's people. Jesus Christ, the living Lord. He is the heartbeat, the drumbeat, the, the melody of all that we say and all that we do, who we are and how we function. So we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But how, you may be asking, we fail. You mess up, I fail, I mess up. And that's when we see in verse 13, the strength to work out our salvation. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in us. That word for, Paul is saying it's only in God's power that we do this. God is working in you personally and he's working in us as a community. He's doing it internally through his indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and he's doing it externally. We will see God's transforming power being displayed in our lives and the lives of the people around us. Let's be confident of this. God is working. He's working in you and he's working in us, Cornerstone Church, Liverpool. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe it's anxiety or doubt or relational anxiety. And what, what's going to look like, life's going to look like over the coming months. Maybe you've got some fears that lockdown has brought that you haven't experienced before. It could be that you're, you're maybe struggling in, in sinful tendencies, something to do with the way that you think or even the way that you desire. But this is a comforting passage because it tells us that God has been working in you and God is working in you. The Holy Spirit, the infinite, eternal God is in you. You can't do this in your own strength. So in the midst of all those things, we ought to turn to God and to see that he has the strength to take, you to take you through. He has the strength to walk you through so that you don't sin. He has the strength to, to walk you through so you have no need to fear. Turn to him. But he's also working in us, Cornerstone Church. In many ways, this lockdown has been tough. Some of you feel that maybe you're just kind of keeping your head above the water. But God has been working in and through us as a church. And I believe we're going to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in and through us over the coming months and over the coming years. See, spring's approaching, isn't it, as we work our way through March. And at the moment, we can't see a lot of the flowers and the, a lot of the fruit, but internally, the seeds, the, the fruit, the life is there. We can't see it as fruit, but the life is going to soon, it's going to erupt out. And we're going to see that too, that the Holy Spirit, the life of God, he lives in us all. We are the temple of the living God. So let's keep our eyes open, Cornerstone Church, to see and rejoice as we watch that fruit burst into life all around us. And that might be surprising for you to hear. It could be some of the questions you've been working through. It could be the shifting priorities. It could be changed habits. It could be different ways that you engage in relationships. All have forced you to ask some, ask some deep questions. And maybe now is the time that God is refining those questions as we emerge out. But let's keep our eyes open to the work of God within us and into the people around us because God is working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then we see the context we work it out. We work out our salvation in verse 14 to 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
And the first point here is that it's relational. There's, there's grumbling that Paul is addressing here. This kind of, it's a low tone of voice behind your back talking, complaining about other people. And there's dispute, which is taking sides and, and bickering, some public argument, arguing over certain issues. And it's causing a problem in the Philippian church. That's not how God calls his people to use their words. It seems odd almost. I don't know how you read this, but it seems odd almost from, from all that he has said to, to shift to this as an example. It almost feels disproportionate from work out your salvation in fear and trembling that God works in you to the way that we use our mouths. But words, folks, can be so destructive. Churches will split most often not over actions, but over words. Words used wrongly, they, they leave, it leaves hurt, it leaves scars. So, so why do we grumble and dispute? Why is there disputes? Why is there grumbling? Jesus Christ said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's an internal problem that pours out in our words. We have a wrong view of ourselves. And that's what's being addressed here. That we don't want to serve others. We don't want to put others' interests first. We, we don't want to put, we want to put ourselves first. We want to kind of, oh, we have a feeling of entitlement. We want our view to be heard. We want our way to be upheld. So how can we use our words in a way which builds up and doesn't destroy? And the answer I think Paul draws us to is to have a right view of who we are. That's what he says. We are children of God. We are the family of God. Called to be blameless and pure, not corrupt and not distorted, but undefiled, pure, without reproach. People aren't to look at us or to be with us or to be amongst us and hear signs of, of division, signs of bitterness or gossip or talking about people behind the backs. But to see children of God loving one another and how they speak and how they serve one another. But we also see that we have a purpose from God. We are to be a light in the dark, to be a light amongst a, a crooked and twisted generation. The world is a dark place. People are actively encouraged to live for themselves. God is, is rejected, God is even mocked. But we are called to be a light in the dark and we are called to do it together. We have the same purpose, the same goal. We are on the same team to take the light of the dark, the light of the gospel into the darkness of the world for the glory of God and the good of each other, putting each other first. See, the Philippians, as Paul wrote this, will have seen this firsthand in, in Acts chapter 16, the, the book of Acts, we, we read as the gospel is going forward, the, the Paul, the apostle Paul and Silas, the, the, the person who he was, was they, they first proclaimed the gospel in Philippi, so the church hadn't yet been formed. And as they're proclaiming the gospel, they get arrested for it, which is really unjust because Paul is a, a Roman citizen. So it shouldn't have happened to him. And he gets handed over to a jailer to be kept safe. But the jailer, what he does, he, he doesn't just um, keep them safe. He actually puts them, as we read, in the inner prison. He didn't need to do this. This inner prison is a, is a place with no windows, no air. It was the worst part of the prison. It was a punishment. But not only that, he puts their feet in stocks. Now these stocks within this prison setup, they will have been instruments of torture which would have opened up their legs to a pain, painful position. This was cruel behaviour. This was dark, crooked and twisted behaviour. But Paul and Silas, the light in the darkness, the light in that dark place, what do they do? They pray and they sing. We read that they're miraculously freed, but instead of escaping, they stay with the other criminals. And the jailer, he wakes up and he's about to, 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 to commit suicide because of the shame and honour of what he has done in the culture that he's living in. But he, he actually gets drawn into what's going on with Paul and Silas. And he's like, what, they're still here? They haven't escaped? Who would do that? Why would they do that? Paul and Silas, they shone as light in the darkness. 
They were living testimonies to the goodness and grace of God in the darkest of places. God worked through them to willing to work for his good pleasure. And then we read that the jailer and his family, they all believe they're part of this church. They're living testimonies of the fruit of salvation worked out amongst them. And then we read the goal of working out our salvation. Verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. Holding fast to the word of life until the Lord Jesus Christ return. We are lights shining when we hold fast to the word of, of light, with the word of life. I don't know if you've seen the, the Olympics, they have the torch bearer right at the start and his task is to take the light right to that end point and he grasps and he holds tightly, he's not to let go of it. And Paul's point here is similar, it's keep hold, keep hold of the word of life and it's a call to persevere, a call to obedience in and through a dark difficult world. So you may be feeling weak and struggling, thinking, how do I do that? How do I get through? Maybe your faith has been totally shaken during lockdown. But let me speak in as we come to, to this message in March of 2021. Let me speak into that because there's great truth for you. If you've been struggling over lockdown and you feel you've wobbled and you're not sure where you are, let me remind you of what Paul is saying right here. Where is your strength from? Where is your strength to walk forward from this point today? It's God working in you. It is God who will preserve you. Turn to him and trust him. I don't know if you've heard the, the picture of salvation. It's been described like a, a door. So there's moments of salvation as you walk towards this door. On the front it says, make a choice. Choose Jesus Christ. Step through. But as you step through in trust and faith and you look back, you see that the door on the back says, I chose you. You're my child. I love you. I knew, knew you before time began. And it's the same with, with perseverance. We strive, we run the race, we fight to finish. But as we turn after it and look back, we see and we hear the voice of God saying, I kept you, I preserved you. Let that bring you comfort through the time ahead. God is working in you and through you and he will preserve you. And Paul says at that end day, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we will see that our work done in him will not be in vain. Paul actually describes the kind of posture of being like a proud father looking at what the Philippians have done in their faith. And lastly, we see the fruit of working out our salvation, verse 17 to 18. If I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The fruit is joy, mutual joy, mutual rejoicing. Rejoicing is possible. And this picture, we get this picture from the Old Testament. It's someone would bring a, a sacrificial offering and the drink offering would be poured over it. So you've got these two worshipful offerings coming together. And Paul's labour, that's the drink offering, which is being poured out over the sacrificial offering of the Philippians' faith. And Paul's saying it's all worth it. I experience deep joy. I rejoice. He says it four times in the space of two lines there. I experience deep joy, deep rejoicing because of your faith, your lives, your obedience. And just, let's just think a second about what Paul is saying. He's, experienced, he's experiencing rejoicing with these people far, far away from him. What is the context of Paul's joy? Where is he? The context of Paul's joy is suffering. He hasn't got any money. He's isolated. He's powerless. He hasn't got a job, he's in poor health. He's potentially classed as a criminal, but he has joy. He rejoices, deep soul transforming, rejoicing, gut warming, rejoicing with the Philippian churches. 
Paul and the Philippian church, they rejoice together because they're walking together. They are working out their salvation in the purpose that they have been called to, living for the glory of God and the good of others. See, as we come through this next few months and this next year, maybe we need to reflect back and look, we've gone through something that we've never experienced before. We've been deprived of quite a lot of things that we've possibly taken for granted. We're going to want to get back to normal. We've We've experienced, haven't we, the constant refrain of this new normal. Now it almost feels like well, we want to get back to the old normal. Maybe this is an opportunity to see the joy, the rejoicing that we would love to experience is only found in one place. And that rejoicing is not going to be found, folks, in getting money, job security, relational security, friends or comforts or our place in society and the culture around us. It's not in any of these things. It's only when relationship with God in Christ. And that, that joy, it's lived out. The joy that we have in our relationship with God in Christ, it's lived out and brought to bear in our lives through working out our salvation, living for God, in trembling, overwhelming, fearful love, relying on God, relying on his strength to get us through, relying on his provision through the highs and through the lows, trusting in his will, his way, his timing alongside other believers that God has given us, together shining as lights in the darkness in a crooked and twisted generation. Living for Jesus Christ, it transforms every part of life. Living for Jesus Christ in suffering, discomfort, in plenty or without is where we find joy, where we find rejoicing with one another, deep, lasting, eternal, soul-satisfying rejoicing. Rejoicing with God now and for all eternity and rejoicing with each other now and for all eternity. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to have the mind of Christ. That he put aside all things to serve us, Father, that we too, by the power of your Holy Spirit, because of what we have received in our salvation, from you through Jesus, that we would lay down our lives for others, that we would be obedient to your word in all ways. Father, help us to see that we've been given the gift of salvation. Help us to see that that rejoicing that we long for, Father, can be found in working out our salvation in obedience. Father, in seeing you in, in fear and trembling, right fear and trembling. Father, it's found in you working for us and in us and through us. Father, it's found in living rightly with other people, the believers, the brothers and sisters that you've put around us. Father, help us to live lives that shine as light in the dark world around us, to hold fast to the word of life, to, to persevere knowing that it is you who hold us tight, Father, and to trust you, your will, your way, your love for us, Father. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk this out this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, guys.